Hey friends, it's Sean from the Poseidon Institute. This is the fifth and final part of our bonus mini-series entitled The Alpha Particle. If this series was fun for you, please be sure to subscribe. In the new year, we'll bring our next crop of particle-specific episodes. If you have any questions about the alpha particle or any other bits of particle physics really, feel free to reach out. We're on Instagram and Twitter, but you can leave your question right here in the podcast comments if you like. We'll be sure to compile the answers in a Q&A episode later. Find out more about particle physics, our programs, and our free online courses at Pasatan.org. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Field Guide to Particle Physics. This is your informal guide to the subatomic ecosystem that we're all immersed in. Our aim is to give us all a better foundation for understanding our place in the universe. Last time, we answered that burning question, what on earth does helium have to do with particle physics? Helium, of course, is the alpha particle. This time, we'll see how Earth's heat engine, driven by all of that alpha decay, reaches all the way out into space. In the past few weeks, we've learned that helium, that useful, noble gas, is created deep underground by the radioactive decay of heavy elements like uranium and thorium. Those decays generate quite a bit of heat. About half of the heat inside the Earth is credited to those decays. As we've seen, the heat has tectonic consequences. The churning of molten rock not only drives volcanic eruptions and geysers, but is also responsible for all of the moving and shaking of the continents on the Earth. Most of this movement is slow and imperceptible to us, but when we can sense a major movement, it's usually as a violent earthquake. The collective impact of all those humble alpha particles literally shapes the world around us. We say humble in part because alpha radiation is mostly harmless. Human skin is pretty good at stopping alpha particles emitted from a decaying nucleus. You wouldn't want to ingest any uranium, that's for sure, but having a tiny bit in the room with you isn't necessarily a problem. This is not true for all radioactive materials, some of which can be extremely hazardous. This is because alpha particles come out with a characteristic velocity that, frankly, isn't very high. Remember, alpha particles are just little fragments of a nucleus that just kind of escaped on their own. Other forms of nuclear radiation include beta and gamma rays, which are essentially electrons and photons. These decays are driven directly by the subnuclear forces, and because they have less electric charge and far less mass, they can penetrate much deeper into living tissue. And that's what makes them hazardous. They can literally mess with your insides. Nuclear decays are not the only radiation that we're exposed to. There is plenty raining down upon us from the sky. You see, the enormous nuclear furnace known as the sun does more than just light up our skies. It is constantly streaming a lot of particles, like electrons, protons, alpha particles, and a bunch of other ionized stuff. Not the kind of stuff that you want to be exposed to regularly. As we'll see, the collective effects of the humble alpha particle inside the Earth protects us from a lot of this so-called solar wind of electrically charged particles. The Earth, like some of the other planets in our solar system, generates its own magnetic field. It's a weak magnetic field. It takes the whole Earth to move your tiny compass needle just a little bit, but it's really big in size. It reaches out into space well past our own atmosphere. 
As we discussed in part two of this series, magnetic fields are created by the motion of electric charges. Big magnetic fields require a bunch of electric charges working together, moving coherently. For the electromagnets used in MRI machines, many, many electrons, otherwise known as the electrical current, are pushed through many, many loops of wire. To generate the Earth's magnetic field, something even bigger must be happening. Our best working type of model, the one that best fits the data, is known as a magnetic dynamo, and I'll sketch that idea for you here. For a planet like the Earth to generate a magnetic field via the dynamo model, we need three things. First, a conducting liquid inside the planet. Second, a large amount of coherent motion. And third, heat, lots of heat. As to the conducting liquid, the outer core of the Earth is believed to be made of iron, liquid iron. Heavy things like iron sink into the Earth, remember? So there's a lot of it deep within the planet. The Earth is so big and so hot inside that there's a whole inner layer of that metal in liquid form churning. As to the large collective motion, well, the Earth itself is spinning, which we see as day and night. The rotational motion of the Earth itself stirs up that liquid iron coherently, like the loops of wire in an electromagnet. For the experts out there, it's the Coriolis force, a sort of three-dimensional version of that centripetal acceleration you feel in the car when taking a turn too sharply. It's the same kind of effective force that drives hurricanes to spin counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere and clockwise in the southern hemisphere. And finally, as to the heat, well, we've discussed that in depth in part four. About half the Earth's radiant heat comes from the radioactive decay of uranium and thorium, in other words, from the production of helium. All that collective motion of a hot conducting fluid is what builds the coherent magnetic field, the dipole field, that surrounds the Earth. And it's a good thing that we have one. We're probably alive today because of it. The atmosphere of the sun is hot, really hot, millions of degrees hot, way hotter than anything inside the Earth. And when matter is that hot, atoms can't exist in their familiar state. The nuclei and electrons separate into a plasma. The tongues of light emitted by a bonfire or a bolt of lightning from the sky are both examples of plasma. They're hot, and because the electrons in the nuclei are separated into a sort of electrically active gas, they cause a lot of electromagnetic disturbance. And for us, that mostly means they generate a lot of light. Given that, it might not surprise you to learn that the atmosphere of the sun is a plasma. But there's more to a plasma than just light. Each tiny particle, each electron or charged nucleus, carries with it an electromagnetic field. When they're bound together in a normal gas, the positive charges in the nucleus neutralize the negative charges of the electrons. That tight binding keeps the surrounding electromagnetic field pretty tame. When things get hot enough to separate the atoms into something as big as a planet or a solar atmosphere, all those tiny electromagnetic fields merge to form one big collective magnetic field. Kind of like a supercharged version of that magnetic dynamo we just discussed. Some of the charged particles in the upper atmosphere of the sun, the corona, escape into space. Pushed by its magnetic field, it's a constant stream. The further they get from the sun, the less of its gravitational pull they experience, and so the faster they travel. But it's not just the intense heat of the sun that drives them away. 
The collective magnetic fields of all those churning charged particles in the solar atmosphere further accelerates those particles away from the sun and, unfortunately, towards us. The magnetic field that surrounds the Earth is our shield from this solar wind. The shield extends way out into space. It's a bit over five times as big as the Earth. At that distance, much of the incoming solar plasma gets deflected back into space. What isn't deflected is caught up by the magnetic field and driven to the poles of our planet, where they eventually get focused into this donut-shaped belt, a Van Allen belt, around the Earth. Occasionally, when that so-called space weather is really bad, when the sun is really cranking, it literally lights up our skies as the aurora. By keeping those charged particles away from the surface, the Earth's magnetic field protects us from direct exposure to the radiation. But that protection afforded by the dynamo magnetic field goes far beyond that. Neither Venus nor Mars generate their own magnetic field. Exposed to the solar wind, their atmospheres are literally being blown away by the impact of all those charged particles. Venus still has a lot of its atmosphere left to give, but is losing a lot quickly. Poor little Mars has all but lost its protective atmosphere. That protective magnetic field that we have, driven in part by the same radioactive alpha decays that create helium, protects both us and our atmosphere. This has been an installment of the Field Guide to Particle Physics, a copyrighted production of the Poseidon Institute. Thank you so much for listening. For a full, free, online copy of the Field Guide, please visit our website at Poseidon.org or follow us on Instagram. We've got a lot of other resources for you there. At the Poseidon Institute, we're on a mission to build and share physics knowledge without barriers. Come learn with us. 